All right, welcome everybody to Sober, Stories of Badgers Empowering Recovery. This is a podcast with the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery, and my name is Shelby Hagen, and I am an outreach specialist with Voices. Wisconsin Voices for Recovery is a peer-run movement that helps unite people in recovery, their families, professionals, and allies. As a diverse coalition of recovery advocates, we serve as a statewide network to link services and support to those in need. So joining me today are Laura Fabic and Sky Bauman. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for joining me. If you could tell listeners each a little bit more about you, that would be wonderful. And we can just go ahead and start with Laura and then go to Sky. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having us today. My name is Laura Fabic. I am a program manager with Art Community Services, which is a women's specific treatment agency based in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, but we do have other projects throughout the state as well, particularly in the Milwaukee and Fond du Lac areas. Um, so I've been working in women's specific services for about the last 20 years, pretty much most of my career. So I'm excited to be here today and talk about what that work looks like and why it's amazing to work with women with substance use disorders. Hi everyone, my name is Sky Bauman. I'm the clinical supervisor at ARC Outpatient Services. Um, I am a person in long-term recovery. Um, I'll be celebrating 20 years on January 4th. Um, I've done lots of different things um, for the recovery community. I work as a clinician. Um, uh, founder and uh, program developer for peer support networks. Um, and I've done a lot of recovery advocacy and, and gotten some, some impressive bills passed in my career, so. Awesome, thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate that time and you both do such awesome work and I'm super excited to talk more about that. Um, so we'll just go ahead and jump right into the questions. Either of you can answer and I'm excited to hear a little more. Um, so the first thing is just, Tell me a little bit more about how um, you kind of cultivated your passion for recovery and what brought you into this field. Laura, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for the question. Yeah, so I have a master's degree in social work. Um, I'd always been interested in helping. I always liked helping and being right in the middle of things, right? Um, so I have an undergrad degree in psychology and then went on to get my master's in social work. Not quite sure what I wanted to do, just knowing I wanted to work with people. Um, and I was more drawn to social work um, and going down that avenue just because I really liked talking more about people that struggled with lots of areas in their lives and really looking at social determinants. And, you know, to me, it didn't make sense to provide counseling, but, you know, not be able to work with someone who's homeless or help them kind of figure out those other parts of their lives. So thinking about that, like Maslow's hierarchy of, you know, we need to help people with their entire life picture, not just parts of it. Um, so I had, I am, don't worry, I'm getting to a point here. So when I was in my first year of my master's program, we had to pick a, a concentration. And I really wanted to move towards mental health and work on mental health, but you weren't allowed to pick that your first year. So I had to pick something else. I'm like, I guess I'll pick substance use because it's kind of related and it's clinical. So that's how I got started. 
Um, and I had an internship. And so I was learning about substance use, um, worked with a lot of really nice people, but I just didn't really like the work that we were doing there necessarily. Um, I often tell a story about a woman who was in a group um, with a lot of males and an older male counselor. And she was talking about how worried she was about her kids and how her kids were doing. She was in jail at that time and had Huber privileges to get out of jail to do treatment. So she was talking about how worried she was about her kids. And, um, and my heart just went out to her. She was just like gutted by not being with her children. And uh, I remember the counselor said, you need to stop worrying so much about your kids and worry about yourself which even at the time, not being a mother at the time, I'm like, I don't think you say that to mothers, right? Like, that's just not a thing. Um, so at that time, I'm like, I don't think substance use work is for me. You know, I didn't like the experience. It was very 12-step um, AA-based. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. That was just the only tool they had in their toolbox there. And I didn't see it work very well for women, um, you know, to make women admit they were powerless. And a lot of these women had already been through so much and had so much power taken from them um, that a lot of it just didn't jive for me. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to do substance use. It wasn't a good fit for me. Um, fast forward a couple of years, I'm looking for a job um, and I end up at ARC because I really wanted to work with women. I wasn't sure about substance use, but I really wanted to work with women. Mm -hmm. And when I got here, I'm like, oh, OK, this makes sense. Like women need to have a different sort of treatment. They need to be supported. They need to be encouraged. They need to be cared about. They have a lot different issues than men do. Um, and so when I got to see what women's specific treatment looked like and what that did for women, I was like, oh, this is it. Like I couldn't imagine working anywhere else or with any other different population. Um, the women that come here have dealt with so much in their lives and they just keep coming back and they keep working at it. And it's just amazing to watch what women can do when they have the right supports around them. I'm not even sure if I answered your question, but that's just like a little bit that got me here. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I, I like and I continue to stay in this field, because it can be hard to be in this field. Um, I like the intergenerational aspect of what we do and that we're working with an entire family system, because I like to think, you know, we can't undo what happened to the women that are here with us, but maybe we can make it so it doesn't happen to their children. And so I like to see that hopefully we're helping like the next generation be healthy and not have to go through the things that their moms had to go through. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. I feel like that's right on topic. So no worries at all. <laughs> How about you, Sky? Um, so when I found recovery 20, almost 20 years ago, um, I started mentoring, um, and I wanted to like give back to the recovery community that had given so much to me. Um, when I first started mentoring, um, the owner of the clinic where I was mentoring told me that I would be a good counselor, um, and if I got my education, she would hire me. Um, and I thought she was crazy um, and that I was a mess and um, that I should not be counseling anybody that that felt really like way too much for me. Um, 
but I kept mentoring and she kept telling me the same thing. Um, and over time it really started to click. Um, there was one person that I mentored who was still a dear, dear friend in my life. Um, and who really changed my ideas on the world. Um, they, um, they had become suicidal while they were in a treatment facility um, and they had had a significant suicide attempt. Um, and after they, they had tried to, to harm themselves by taking a number of pills, um, they wandered around that facility and um, looking for a phone so that they could call me um, because they felt like it wasn't right with how close we had become for them to not be able to say goodbye to me. And it was, I had like spent my entire life um, prior to my use, like trying to be perfect. Um, and the reason that this person cared about me and felt safe with me was because they knew how horribly imperfect I was. Um, and it made me just see the world in a different way and see myself in a different way. And it taught me that people come together through their vulnerabilities um, and that creating those relationships is really like how people heal, right? Like, I think all people heal within the context of relationships, um, but that is particularly particularly true for, um, for women and trans people. Um, and community really matters, right? So, um, so bringing people together, that's always been my goal. Um, you know, I, I care an awful lot about creating community and creating safe trauma responsive spaces for people to heal in. Um, and that's really kind of been the, the driving force behind the, the work that I do. Um, the people that we work with at ARC, um, have really high levels of gender-based violence. And so making sure that those, those triggers for their trauma are not going off in their treatment um, creates those safe spaces where it allows them to develop relationships and develop community and really find the healing that they need. So, so that's, that's what I care about. That's why I do what I do what I do. Um, and, you know, I think that working for the recovery community is an absolute honor and I can never see myself doing anything else. So like, you guys are stuck with me. This is, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. <laughs> so. Thanks so much for sharing that, Sky. I really appreciate that. And it sounds like a very kind of powerful journey that you went on. Um, so also joining us today, we also have Mercy Butts. Um, so Mercy, if you could just introduce yourself and tell us more about your work in recovery, that would be awesome. Sure. Good morning, world. My name is Mercy. Um, well, first name Mercedes. Everyone calls me Mercy. I am the owner and operator of Joyce's House of Milwaukee, which is a safe and sober home for up to nine women recovering from addiction. Um, we've been around for the last three years and serviced over a hundred and 47 women recovering from addiction. Um, we don't just only provide safe and sober housing. We're also a licensed GED test center. So for people who don't have that um, component, we do help prepare them and test them right at Joyce's house. Um, we help 
our ladies develop life skills by connecting them with partnering agencies to help them, um, whether with employment, whether with uh, career search, skill building, things like that. Um, a lot of people always say, who is Joyce? Joyce was my grandmother. Um, my grandmother, she struggled with addiction for over 33 years. Um, but while in her addiction, she, I'm, I'm going to say it like this, she still inspires me to this day. My grandmother isn't here anymore. Um, she passed in 2015 of cancer at the age of 58. Um, and my grandmother was so inspiring because I actually seen this person go through addiction, overcome addiction, and how it affected our family dynamic, but also how she helped other people in the process of her healing. Um, and again, it was just very inspiring to me, and still is. Um, I went on to become a substance abuse counselor, um, where I practiced in many different arenas from prisons to day treatment, outpatient. I've been at all different levels of treatment. So, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks so much, uh, Percy. That's, that's really great to kind of hear more about your story and founding Joyce's house. And that's amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Um, we'll just kind of dive more into speaking of women in recovery and how being a woman is different kind of being in the recovery community. My question is, what is one thing um, specifically about women in recovery or recovery treatment that you wish that the general population understood? I think for, I guess I can go first with that. Um, for me is that every everyone recovers differently, especially women. Um, I exclusively work with women and I'm a woman. Um, at one point in time, many, I wouldn't say many moons ago, but not too many moons ago, um, society didn't think that women struggled with addiction. It was only deemed as a male, a male problem. Um, and when women would have this issue, they would put them in mental health salems and things like that. And what I've noticed as, as time has went on, it has been more talked about that women do struggle with addiction, but we also recover in a very unique way. And I'll say unique as an essence of uh, we're multidimensional people and it, all of those different uh, things that come with us have to be nourished in order for us to fully recover. And I think that's been something that has been missed um, and overlooked with dealing with women. I would agree with that. Um, you know, the, the research up until 20 years ago was focused on, on white men with alcohol use disorder. Um, and so other people in recovery, other people with substance use disorders didn't have any evidence-based techniques or therapies um and we're different right like the people are different um and the evidence really needed to catch up with that I think that there's still not nearly enough of an investment um in understanding the evidence base for for women trans folks and people of color um and that is a real shame and really shows kind of some stigma in our society. Um, I would also say that, you know, 
gender-based violence is huge um, for the populations that we serve and trauma is huge for the populations that we serve. Um, and so, you know, I think people make sense. Um, so even from an outside perspective, when you're looking at somebody's actions and you feel like they're so illogical and like, why would they do that? For that person, based on their life experience, it makes sense. Um, and if you have the privilege to not understand that life experience, then you are lucky. Um, but that doesn't mean that you are better than. And so I would really encourage all people to take a look at, at why people are struggling to the level that they are struggling. Um, because I do think that it, it has a lot to do with power and privilege. Yeah, 100% agree with both of my colleagues here. Um, I think what a lot of people, just kind of the general population that haven't had any experience with addiction, what they don't understand is like what leads women to addiction. And I think that's what Sky is, is pointing at. It's like, they didn't just decide to start using because it might be fun, right? I mean, it, the things that lead them to use are trauma, violence, co-occurring mental health disorders, um, pain, physical ailments. You know, I think of this, you know, how many women present to their doctor and they're anxious. And what do they give them? Benzodiazepines, which are super addictive and are only supposed to be used here and there. They're not supposed to be used on a daily basis. So then you have a woman that is taking something her doctor prescribed, thinking everything is okay. And now she's addicted to these medications. Same with opiates, right? Like you have a backache, you go in, your doctor gives you an opiate. Before you know it, you're physically addicted and you're just trying to treat pain you had. And I think that that's what we see time and time again as women are coming into addiction because they are trying to treat something that is going on for them. Um, or they're trying to maintain a relationship they're in. You know, there are a lot of avenues women that get to, get to addiction. Um, but like Sky said, I wish people could just come and like sit down and talk to a woman that has a substance use disorder and ask her like, why, how, like, and I think if you could hear those stories of how people got to where they are, it'd be a whole lot harder to look at them with the eyes that they're looked at with currently. And I think a lot of that stigma and shame would go away if people understood what women with substance use disorders have faced and are facing. Absolutely. Thank you all for your responses. They were all super on point, very valuable. And it definitely just kind of opens the door to my next question, um, which is focusing in kind of on our state of Wisconsin. And there's so much going on right now. We have the pandemic, we have a lot of stigma related to addiction. Um, you know, there's specific issues with living in a state that kind of um, really values drinking. So for those with alcohol addiction, it's kind of a different dynamic. So my next question is, what do you think is one of the biggest addiction related challenges that Wisconsin women specifically face? Ooh, I can answer that. <laughs> so again, I've been a counselor. Well, I've been a counselor for uh, almost 10 years and I've, I've treated men, I've treated women. Um, and 
I have noticed just in my community, and then again, it's just in my community, um, there's a stigma against certain drugs and alcohol. Wisconsin is a state where, like you mentioned before, it's legal to drink. However, during the pandemic, our sky rate, our, our rates skyrocketed with people uh, increasing consumption of alcohol. I mean, tripled doubled and it's because people tell themselves that this is legal and then when they attempt to go get help again i'm talking about my community when they go get help they're told that they are not um, a priority because they're not a iv heroin or opioid user now for me as being a woman of color african-american woman i've 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 had family directly i i witnessed it i was right there and in fact us tremendously you have generations of brokenness um generations of family who has a lot of trauma because they weren't able to get the proper resources and help um and then you see now today that it help is geared more toward a certain demographic of people and there's people who who consume alcohol and it's like hey it's legal it's fine but at one point in time alcohol was illegal just because something is legal, that doesn't mean it's okay. And I think sometimes we get in our mind just because something is legal, it's okay to do. I always remind people, if you do understand that slavery was legal at one point in time, that doesn't mean that that was okay to do. You know, um, it's just having those healthy conversations and also letting people know that you all matter. At Joyce's house, I don't go off of, oh, what's your drug of choice? Whoever gets in first is whoever needs help. I think there definitely is a, a drinking culture in our state. Um, alcohol use is everywhere. It is very prevalent, um, which I think makes it harder. And I think especially for women being so relational, if that is your community and if your community drinks and the way you participate in your community is by drinking, it's very hard to stop because your whole life is set up to support drinking. You know, I think of some of the you know, more rural parts of the state where it's like, that's what you do, right? The small towns that have like three bars and one church and that's it. And that's where people go to socialize, to connect, to be with others. Um, and if you're not drinking, you're getting harassed. Um, so it's very much like in that, um, the social fabric that it's, that's what you do. And if you're not drinking, it's, oh, are you pregnant? Like, that's what people think. If you're not, you know, if you're in that community where you drink a lot, that's the only reason you wouldn't drink, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think it does make it harder. I think, like Mercy's saying, it's just, it's like so normal that people just don't think of it as an issue. Um, and I see people, you know, similarly, if they're drinking, they're like, oh, but I'm not, you, I'm not doing the hard stuff or I'm not doing the more dangerous stuff. So it's okay. Um, or it's funny that you're hung over at work the next day and can't function, not a like, gosh, that that's not great. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely versus if you didn't go into work because you were using heroin, there'd be a lot of stigma around that. And you wouldn't tell people, but instead people are like laughing about how hungover they are. So um, and I think definitely starting to see more normalization of um 
marijuana use too is starting to get that way also where people are seeing it's like oh well it's legal in so many places now so like weed's not so bad or it's not addictive or it helps me sleep or it helps me eat or um you know we'll see we do a lot of treatment for women with driver safety plans um that had a um intoxicated while driving charge and they come in and they're like you know i don't really drink all that much and we're like okay well we'll do this treatment that you need to get your driver's license back and then we'll get into the treatment a little bit and they're using weed every day you know but they just thought well that's just kind of normal right like that's just what people do so i think there's a lot of stigma and shame and guilt around what substances you use and some are more normalized than others um, which can make you know, figuring out treatment for women a lot harder if they feel like what they're doing is really normal and their whole connection, their whole community is built around that. So I'm not from Wisconsin and um, there are a lot of, you know, social things here that I did not understand when I first moved here. I did not understand that when people said that they were going downtown, it meant they were going to get drunk. Um, right. Like there was just like words like that, that I was like, Oh, um, and where I moved from, like people that hung out at bars were the people that like weren't cool enough to get in on, on a guest list. Um, and like go see like a musician or a DJ. Um, so like, it was a very weird culture shock for me moving to Wisconsin. I, you know, drinking is very much embedded in the culture here. Um, but I, I want to go back to something that Laura said um, about pregnant people. And, you know, that's a special population that's like near and dear to my heart um, because pregnant people with substance use disorders are stigmatized within the substance using community, right? Um, that like somehow we think that pregnancy should be a cure for a chronic brain disease. Um, and there's like, it's just not, there's like no evidence that pregnancy cures um, substance use disorders. Um, and one of the things that I really stress, um, you know, I believe in, in the things that we tell ourselves matter. Um, and so if any of the people in group say like, I'm a bad mom, or I chose substances over my child, I will stop them. I will interrupt them. Um, I will say, we do not say that here right? Um, that you have a substance use disorder and your substance use disorder negatively impacted you and your children, right? Like it's, it's the whole family that's impacted, right? It is never a mother choosing a substance over the love for her child. Um, and it is something that drives me absolutely nuts that is said so often in society. <laughs> so just gonna get on my soapbox for one minute. Um, please stop using that language and there's no scientific basis for it. Absolutely. Yeah, this has been a great discussion so far. And again, just really appreciate everyone's insights and you know, all the different things that go into recovery, you know, it's, it's the social factors, it's geographical location, it's policy. Um, and kind of speaking about earlier, how I know Sky mentioned, if you could sit down and talk with someone in recovery, and just ask why and kind of understand all the factors that go into it, 
Um, we know that recovery kind of goes hand in hand with different mental health conditions. And the word recovery itself often is used to refer to like eating disorder recovery, substance use and other mental health conditions. So if you could each speak a little bit to the intersection of substance use and other mental health conditions that co-occur and kind of what you see and how those things relate. Um, you know, a lot of people don't, and I'm glad you mentioned the thing about co-occurring disorders because that's real and it needs to be talked about. Um, it's not, you're not just uh, treating the addiction because once you, you think that the addiction you're treating, it's a, then it's something else. Again, like we've been discussing the trauma, a person needs to learn how to deal with the trauma because if they don't learn how to deal with the trauma, they'll be back doing the same thing that they were doing before. Uh, I've had someone who, and I, it was, it was multiple things It went from sex, eating, and it's not just one sub, one substance. So once you open up that door, um, it's learning how, like I mentioned before, learning how to treat the whole person because it's not just that one thing, it's something that got them there. So the mental health component behind it, um, why a person thinks the way that they do and what led them up to those actions. Um, again, it's, it's a very, very interesting thing to see but it's also empowering when you watch people overcome those things and learn how to uh, cope with them. So I see, um, I see things that kind of in two different ways. Um, so for me, I think of like the primary pain and then the self-destructive coping skills, right? Um, and so, you know, again, people make sense, right? So if you have trauma, um, if you have a, an emerging mood disorder, um, if you have major depressive disorder, um, if you have social anxiety disorder and every time you're around people, you're thinking that they're saying bad things about you, right? Like those are kind of those primary pains um, that makes it really hard to exist in the world, right? Um, and so when somebody has that primary pain that makes it so uncomfortable to just like be in your own skin, um, then you, you try to find a way to not feel that way, right? And, you know, it, we go back and forth as a profession about whether or not substance use disorders should be classified as pediatric disorders, um, because like 90% of them start before somebody turns 18, right? So, um, you know, these are not like 40 year olds that are like, oh, I feel depressed. Like, you know, should I go to my doctor or should I get blackout drunk, right? Like these are 13 year olds that are like, I feel like I want to kill myself. Um, and I don't know how to do anything about that. Um, but when I get drunk with my friends, it gives me a little bit of relief for a little bit of time, right? So those self-destructive coping skills can be, you know, can be substances, it can be eating disorders, it can be cutting or self-harming, it can be gambling, it can be chaotic relationships, right? Like legitimately I've had some clients that have like pushed my understanding of self-destructive coping skills. Like people are creative, like, <laughs> that I would not have imagined. Um, 
right? But there's, you know, there's always a primary pain um, and there's always a, a best effort by that person to try to survive with that primary pain and figuring out a way to cope that doesn't serve them in their long-term interest, right? And so our job is really to like teach people sustainable ways to not have to like live in that suffering and live in that primary pain. I agree with both my colleagues, um, both well said. Um, and I like Sky how you use kind of the primary pain as the, you know, kind of the precipitating um, event that can lead you know, to other issues as well. And I think, um, you know, women have very high rates of co-occurring disorders. I mean, I think the numbers, what you look at can change no matter you look, but it's, I know in the population we serve, it, it's there. They mostly have co-occurring mood disorders um, of some kind, um, often have trauma, you know, it's, it's all there. We rarely see someone come through our doors and our population. Um, that just has a substance use disorder. There's usually some other sort of recovery they're working on while they're here as well. Um, and sometimes it's those layers, you know, we start to address the substance use and that gets better. And then we realize like, oh, I, I don't have the coping skills I need to, to deal with my anxiety, my depression, my eating patterns, my relationships. And so it's like, as we start to just peel the layers off and kind of figure out what's going on and what do we need to address and um, what do we need to do to kind of get life back on track and be healthy again. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, um, especially if someone is coming into treatment in the 30, 40 years old and this part of their life has started for them at 10 years old. Like they don't know what being who they are because at 10, who knows who they are at 13, who, who knows who they are. So they're also, you know, having to catch up on a lot of developmental um, changes and who have they become and who are they going to be because they've had substance use disorders and mood disorders their entire life. And so it's really um, an interesting discovery process for them to figure out who they are and who they want to be. And they maybe never felt like they had that choice. So now having choices feels really interesting and different as well. Absolutely. Yeah, that all of these insights, and I, I say this after every question, but it's just been so great to hear you all kind of share what you've learned in working in this field. And kind of to wrap things up, I have one final question before we end today, but um, you know, there's been a lot going on overall in, in the entire country with political changes and on a policy level, what is kind of needed um, to address and support women in recovery? I'll go ahead and get us started. Um, I think that there's a desperate need for, for safety, right? Um, that between the pandemic and legislative changes um, and economic um, implications, right? Like there are a lot of, of women who don't feel safe. Um, and like the biggest thing we need is for our society to get healthy because I think all of us in the field right now can tell you that we have never seen the level of need that we are seeing right now. Um, 
right? Like, and we can't keep up with it, right? Like it is just not possible. We need to train so many new providers so quickly to keep up with this level of need. And so the best thing that, that each and every person listening can do is look at ways to make their society healthier, right? Um, what can you do for your community, right? Because people need enough money to live on, right? Like women need a, a home in order to keep their themselves and their children safe, um, right? Like people need to be able to have a car accident or like a car repair and not lose everything that they own. Um, right. Like we are just not in a healthy place in society. And, you know, Laura mentioned earlier, those social determinants of health. I really encourage everybody to take a look at those because right now we're being used as like the emergency crisis service. Um, and that that's not our role, right? Like our role is to help people heal, but our work is crisis every day, day in and day out right now, because our society is not healthy enough to, to give people the safety and the security that they need. Um, so yeah, that's my, my plug and my call to action. Take a look at the social determinants of health, figure out what you can do with your dollars and your vote and your volunteer time to help make your community safer. Yes, I definitely, I definitely um, like to echo uh, what Sky said, it's getting out into your community, um, ensuring that your voice is heard, get to the ballot. Um, because safety, and I'm so glad that was the word you used, safety, women's safety is number one. Our, our rights, um, our, uh, for us to be women need to be protected. Um, for you to get out and ensure that you are doing your all, that everyone is being treated equally and have a fair opportunity to recovery. And I'll, I'll just add, this is like one sliver, but it's just something we talk about is um, what we call like the cocaine moms bill. I know that's not what it's actually called, um, but it's a very specific thing in Wisconsin where if a woman is using drugs, she can be put in jail. So I think that is one thing that just has always, we've talked about it a lot at Arc Sky, and I've talked a lot about it, that just really punishes women for having this substance use disorder. And we know putting people in jail for stuff doesn't fix anything. Um, and I think what this does is it makes pregnant women hide because they're scared they're going to go to jail. Um, it makes even women that aren't pregnant scared to tell anyone that they're using because they think that they're going to be put in jail or their kids are going to be taken from them. And a substance use disorder does not get cured by jail and it's not be, get cured by having your children taken from you. Um, and in fact, the Child Protective Services in our county even says like using substances alone is not a reason to remove children from their homes because there'd be a lot of kids not in their homes in our state, right? Um, so I think it's just really important that people know that there are laws like this that are just archaic and punitive and make no sense and just make women not get help 
And then it has the opposite effect. If they have an even unhealthier pregnancy, because they're scared to go to the doctor, they're scared to get the help they need. And I, I would like people to just put themselves in that woman's shoes of you're pregnant, you're struggling, and you can't ask anybody for help. Because how many women who are middle class without substance use disorders and pregnant call their doctor every time they feel something like, oh, this happened, is this normal? Is this, what if you couldn't call anybody? What if, what if you could go to jail if you called somebody? How would that feel? So I think it's just um, the safety is huge. And I think that bill is one of those that just always sticks in my head is just so punitive and so damaging and so terrible and so short-sighted and doing the opposite of, of what it should be doing. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining me today. This has been just a great discussion and really valuable. And I think that listeners will get a lot out of this. And just to end here, we'll go uh, from Laura to Sky to Mercy. Just let listeners know where they can connect with you professionally and your work and anything you want to shout out before we end today. Well, thank you for having us. I think, you know, your question, like, what can we do about this? I think having these discussions, this is my first ever podcast. So thank you. Um, You know, I think starting to talk about this topic and let women know they're not alone. um, Let women know there are other women out there going through the same things they are, um, you know, starting to address, especially alcohol in our community, in our state amongst women. Um, So I appreciate the chance to be here today. Um, If you want to connect with ARC more, it's ARC Community Services, um, just Google ARC Community Services in Madison. And our website will take you to all of our program. We've got a ton of program. We've got outpatient substance use services, outpatient um, mental health counseling, day treatment services, residential services, really looking at women's treatment from that lens of we need to treat the whole woman. So we've got substance use counselors, we've got child and family therapists, we address a lot of those barriers for women. We've got childcare on site, case managers on site. Um, we've got um, human trafficking and prostitution projects. We've just got a whole host of services that are really trying to help women and help them lead the lives they want to lead and have a healthy family for themselves. So please take a look at our website. And if you have questions, we've got um, little spots where you can email if you have questions about each one of our programs. So please take a look and reach out if you have any questions or want to be involved in the work we do. Thank you. So Laura and I work at the same place, so I won't repeat what she said, um, but I'll I'll use my time to do a quick uh, shout out for the Wisconsin Recovery Advocacy Project. Um, You can look us up, just Google Wisconsin Recovery Advocacy Project. Um, We are a group of um, people in recovery, um, people, that are using and parents um, that look at legislation and and make changes um, for the recovery community. So if you wanna get more involved, uh, there's definitely ways to do that. We could could use your time. Um, I would like to say thank you so much for um, creating a safe space for us to talk about important issues, particularly surrounding the recovery community with women recovering from addiction. Um, I sincerely appreciate that. Um, I would like to shout out all the recovery agencies in the Milwaukee area, 
all the recovery agencies throughout the Wisconsin, um, thank you all for getting out in the trenches and being able to advocate for others who can't advocate for themselves at this time. Um, I personally just had a tragedy last night. Um, someone that uh, I grew up with was my first love. Um, I've been knowing my whole entire life, uh, just lost his life to addiction. So um, my thoughts and prayers are with his family at this time um, because this is fresh. Um, we can be found at Joyce's house, mke.org. Um, if you're interested in looking into any of the programs or any services that we offer, you can go to Joyce's House MKE.org or call us at 414-286-9055. Thank you again. Thank you all. And Mercy, we're sending our love and healing to his family. And we're so sorry to hear about that. And yeah, so thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. So I think that that's about it for us today. Um, once again, it's been absolutely wonderful having you all here and having this discussion. And thank you to everyone who's listening to this podcast. Um, hopefully you can go and connect with Laura, Sky, and Mercy's work. If you have any questions, please feel free to visit the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery website um, for more information. Once again, thank you for listening to the Wisconsin Voices for Recovery Sober podcast and have a wonderful rest of your day.